Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Hello, OFAD lads and lasses. It is the month of April in the year of our Lord 2023. On the day that this episode is releasing, Caleb and I both have some big things going on. I will, Lord willing, be at a meeting of Presbytery in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I should be taking my final ordination exam, my floor exam, and Caleb will be at a meeting of Classes Central of the United Reformed Churches taking his candidacy exam on or around the day this releases. So all of this to say that the month of April is going to be a bit crazy for us. We have a lot going on uh, with our ordination processes and other things. And so we've decided to give us some time and space to do that uh, and also to... Um, expose some new listeners to some of our back catalog, we're going to do a series for the month of April called The Best of Bob, where we go back and basically do as reruns some of the best episodes of Bobcast. For those of you who are new to OFAD and what we've been doing and who we are, uh, before we relaunched as OFAD this last fall, we had a podcast called Bobcast, and we released over 70 episodes over the course of about two and a half years, um, mainly focusing on the works and theology of Herman Bovink, but often, as we do, uh, wandering off into other things as well. And so we're going to do this series called The Best of Bob, where we play back some of our favorite uh, episodes, interviews, moments from Bobcast over the next few weeks. And we may even actually have some previously unreleased material that we've recorded for Bobcast and then never released. We'll just see how that shapes up over the next few weeks. But our first installment of The Best of Bob is an interview that we did back in the summer of 2020, the infamous COVID summer. Uh, Caleb was interning in Idaho. I was interning in Washington State. And uh, our friend Rudy Manrique from uh, Seminary uh, from Westminster, California, uh, came to visit Caleb. And we actually recorded some episodes with him talking about worship. Rudy was a former worship leader in Southern California. And we got to talk about uh, some of that history and worship in general and what it is and what it does and that sort of thing so it was a good episode it's an episode that we got a lot of good feedback on and so we've decided that for our first installment of the best of bob here is worship with rudy manrique and in case you're wondering what rudy is up to now he did our theme music for bobcast and was something of a staple. Uh, he is now planting a church in Southern California in the Riverside area. If you're interested in finding out more about that, in our show notes we'll include a link to an Instagram that's been set up for that church planting effort. You can go look at that. You can message Rudy through that and you can get more information about that church plant if you think that's something you'd like to be a part of. But anyway, without further ado, here is the best of Bobcast on worship with Rudy Manrique. Bobcast. 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 This is the Bobcast. A podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Bobcast. I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm Caleb Castro. Today is a special day on the Bobcast. We are inviting in our first ever guest. Is that really special? Well, I guess that depends on what you think of our guest. Okay, so we'll we'll have to get uh, feedback, uh, complaints, and comments afterwards to tell us if it was special or if it was just terrible. 
I would lean towards the latter, but we'll see. <laughs> so, Andrew, who's our guest today? Well, our guest today is someone that if you've been listening to Bobcast, you've actually heard him a lot, whether or not you've thought about it. He is the voice of our theme music. He wrote and performed the song City of God, which we have been using as our theme music on Bobcast since the beginning. Wait, what? I thought... I thought our theme music was the SpongeBob SquarePants song. Uh, no, we couldn't get the rights to that. It was a little too that's expensive. That's awful. <laughs> okay, well, so yeah, that's why we had to go with uh, City of God. Yeah, it's a shame, really. That would have been lit with SpongeBob. Yeah, I mean, Tom Kenny is a little hard to book these days, the voice actor of SpongeBob anyway, so... So we have here with us today, Rudy Manrique. Say hi, Rudy. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Andrew, I know I'll probably be seeing you in a couple of weeks. and Not if I see you first. That Yeah, that's true. I mean, for the most part, you do avoid me anyways when I, we see you on, I see you on campus. But, uh, I mean, that's a good thing. I try to avoid you as well. Um, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I moved halfway across the country to another seminary. Yes. And I'm here right here. Uh, I'm in actually Caldwell, Caldwell, Idaho. Why is it, is it, why does it look like Chadwell? Rudy is actually recording, uh, with me, uh, out where I am interning right now. He's, uh, out on a little, uh, visit before the summer end saying hi. It's been a while. It's been a while. Since I could. <laughs> Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about like who you are, uh, yeah. just a little bit about your, yeah. your background, your family, your yeah. life, uh, fears, social yeah. security. Yeah. Okay. So yes, my name actually, my name isn't actually Rudy. It's Rodolfo. Rodolfo Ramos Manrique. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, there you go. I'm 33 years old. So that makes me probably older than all you guys. It's even older <laughs> than Andrew. Yep. Yeah, so born and raised in Southern California, born into a uh, nominal, very nominal, uh, nominal, uh, is that how you say it? Nominal? Nominal. 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 Very nominal uh, Roman Catholic family, you know, standard born in a Mexican uh, family, so baptized Roman Catholic and did my catechism and uh, wasn't raised in the faith whatsoever. I quote unquote believed there was a God. But uh, it had no effect on my life whatsoever. Even in my teenage years, I was a a very very rebellious uh, kid. But um, the Lord, in His sovereign grace and in His goodness and mercy, plucked me out of the fire, so to speak, uh, when I was 18 years old, and actually got saved at a Pentecostal church. Uh, the change was very very dramatic and uh, night and day, as they say. Fast forward to right now, I'm currently a, an MDiv student at a uh, Westminster Seminary, California, with Andrew. Air horn. Ear, ear, ear. <laughs> I know, yeah. And uh, for a time with Caleb, that's where I met Caleb. Sad trombone. Tuba. So, yeah, currently I'm, in, uh, I'm, I'm on the four-year track. I'm beginning my third year. And right now, I'm currently in a PCA church. Uh, I'm an intern at Grace Presbyterian Church in Yorba Linda. I love it. Uh, I love to play the guitar. I love music. Uh, love to read theological books, obviously. And I, I love a good beer. Um, love hanging out. So I uh, got married about three years ago to uh, my lovely, beautiful wife, Emily. And we just had our first child this past March, on uh, March 8th. And that is my interest right now. I love hanging out with my baby boy. And what is his name? His name is also Rodolfo. <laughs> Rodolfo Junipero Manrique. But In Hebrew, it's Rudy. Ben Rudy. Yeah. Ben Rudy. Ben Rudy. Ben Rudy. But short, we call him Juni. <laughs> so Rudy, the reason that we have you on here and the reason you're on our podcast every week is because you're a musician and you've written and recorded songs. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, your life, your experience with music and particularly with Christian music. Growing up a teenager, obviously, uh, you know, you discover music. But uh, in particular, when I was in high school, I fell in love with the punk rock scene, and that's why I started picking up the guitar and was in a bunch of bands and whatnot. I started writing my own music very early on. Obviously, I was not a Christian, so yeah, I was in a pop punk band. We were called uh, Morning Drive and all in all, all these weird names or whatever. But anyways, and then once I became a, a, a Christian, I sort of put away the guitar. I sort of, you know, kind of gave that up for about a year. It wasn't until I moved, I 
was at a church service and one of the the youth leader at that church he kind of he he went up to me he didn't know who I am he didn't didn't know anything about me but he said hey you look like a musician <laughs> and you want to come and play you want to come and play uh for our youth youth uh youth group and I'm like uh yeah I, well I am a musician but I mean sure I was like, I don't know any worship songs. I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know how to play any of those songs. He's like, no, don't worry about it. Just come, just come and uh, just play. I'm like, all right. So, oh man, it was a train wreck. I remember a uh, <laughs> funny little experience. We were playing that one song, you know, uh, you came from heaven to earth. <laughs> it was me on an electric Sadly, guitar. I can never forget it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was... uh, I think we can never forget it in about 50 languages. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you're, are, some, some, some of the listeners can relate to that. Um, and it's probably stuck in their head. So I do apologize for that. So our first, my first ever experience uh, leading worship was with me on an electric guitar, full on distortion, you know, just ending with my friend um, who had just got saved the week before. And he was with one drumstick playing the drum, like just one drumstick. <laughs> it was horrible. Why and one for, drumstick? <laughs> we could be, you know, we only, we only had one drumstick, basically. It was just horrible. And then, of course, I, uh, I kind of grew up in my early adulthood being a worship leader in, in, in various Pentecostal churches, Calvary Chapel, and even even some Reformed churches. So when, when it comes to the theme song, uh, The City of God, I'm a, I'm a huge Augustine fan. Um, he's probably my favorite theologian. Sorry. Now let's I'm, hold on there. I know. <laughs> Are you in, you're in the Augustine camp or the Augustine camp? Well, what uh, is his name? Uh, so I, I kind of take the Cornelius Van Til approach. Um, Augustine is a city in Florida. Florida. Augustine is in heaven. So, um, <laughs> Amen. Van so, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Augustine fan, and obviously, as Augustine has a book entitled "The City of God," I think what inspired that song most was that there's there's a lack of uh, quote unquote contemporary, uh, and I don't want to call it a worship song because I don't I don't think it is in that technical term as we think of it but there's there's no songs that talk about an eschatological you know the 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 city of god and like all millennialism and we're, we I, I feel like i felt like we lacked those types of songs so that was that was um uh kind of my main motive for for writing that song. Like I've never heard besides, I think I can only think of Shy Lin, whoever even references the word, the millennium in his song. And I've never heard another song reference the millennium. So uh, the actual words, the millennium. So, um, that's a, yeah. I mean, that's a good point where, I mean, uh, as a whole, there is, you're saying like a, a lack of say reformed, uh, positions or reformed theology in, uh, music Correct. as a whole, yeah, yeah. not yeah. just Christian music. Yeah, uh, we, we'll, we want to get back to that a little bit later. Um, it's, it's a really good point. So you, but you've been telling us that you've uh, basically you've been in some uh, you know uh, church worship teams. From knowing you, you know we've been uh, we know that you've been a, a worship uh, leader, or as some churches would say, a worship pastor, worship director, whatever. Are you still doing that right now? Uh, where, where where are you kind of at with all that right now? Gotcha. So okay, recently I actually kind of came out of that whole thing uh, for other reasons, uh, for various reasons that we could get into. But uh, I'm I'm no longer a worship leader right now. I'm I'm strictly sticking to pastoral intern. Uh, work and uh, focusing on my studies and you know I feel like the Lord that that is guiding me in that direction I mean what led me to to get kind of get out of being a worship leader I think it it's I've over the um, you know especially being at at Westminster and uh, diving in more into reformed theology and and developing my convictions throughout you know maybe maybe the last two years two and a half years is a desire to to be discerning. I think uh, when it comes to worship music, uh, especially especially when we think of contemporary worship music, and and the the churches that are putting out this music, it's. I mean, I'll just come right out and say it. A lot of it is littered with false teaching. And as a worship leader, I was very very convicted that. Essentially, by me singing these songs, 
I was kind of giving my stamp stamp of approval upon them. And when I was very, very, I mean, I would, I would, I would, I would go so far as to say I was very afraid that because of my stamp stamp of approval upon these songs about uh, and the churches that are promoting this music and and releasing this music, that some of the members of the congregation where I was the worship leader would obviously look up look up the songs on YouTube and then that would lead them to uh look up the pastors of these churches and they would start listening to their teachings and it's and these teachings are obviously littered it's with falsehood with um wrong doctrine and I was just very very scared that some of the some of my friends and uh some of the, the my friends at church would would start following these these individuals. I think you're on to something with that because I spent some time in a past life as a worship leader too and I saw a similar effect. You start singing songs by certain large popular churches mm-hmm. and then people start going down the road and following the teaching of those churches and it often leads to some problematic places theologically mm-hmm. and practically. Such as talking about uh, believing in uh, living in a past life, Andrew. I was using the <laughs> idiomatic use. This was in my current life, but in an earlier time. I am a bit removed from that now. Sure. Hey, sure. Andrew, was this past life when you had hair? Part of it. I have been without uh, hair for a long time. We, you need to qualify that, Rudy. When he had hair on the top half on, of on his the, head. On the top half. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, okay, uh, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure Andrew is probably jealous of my hair, my hairdo. But no, I will say, not so I will much. say, Andrew, I am very uh, covetous and envious of your beard. Well, you so, should be. Yes. Um. <laughs> So what do you think the appeal is? What do you think the draw is to that kind of worship, that style of worship with the bands and the very popular and emotional songs that are coming out of these big churches? So I think, um, especially when I was involved in, in that, it was emotionalism. It makes you feel a certain way. You know, you get the goosebumps, as they would say, um, but they would call it the anointing. Um, those are very different things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And even then, yeah, very different things. Yeah. So I think the, 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 the massive draw is, is people want to connect. They want to feel the presence of the Lord. They want to have an experience with the Lord. They want his presence and, and, and and a lot of these circles though, use like the, the, the terms, you know, the presence of the Lord was tangible, you know, was thick and, um, you know, I, I still don't even know, I still don't even know what that means, but, um, that's the kind of the language that's being thrown around in these church, churches. And I think that's, that's a desire, um, which is a good desire in the sense of wanting to, to connect with the Lord, to, uh, worship him. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, it is, it is ranked with, with emotionalism, uh, empiricism, uh, subjectivity so it's it's all subjective and it is at the end of the day that's that's where it falls into it's just nothing but uh wanting to to have an experience with god so do you think that experience is real do you think it's authentic i think god in his grace because obviously like we, we like i was i was saved at a pentecostal church and we all know that there's probably there's massive problems in the pentecostal church um but uh you know they're considered brothers and sisters in the lord and uh yeah i would say that the experiences uh of these people they they do the they do love the lord they they do have a relationship with the lord some of them um not all of them do if we're considering this uh, another way to phrase this uh say um for one thing does god use uh worship music praise music uh, a praised band to save uh people to save individuals on the surface level my my direct answer it would be no reason being is uh especially in uh when we talk about the means of grace some uh some christians in some churches have they've even categorized worship as a means of grace now hmm. 
What do you, what do you mean by that? Now, uh, we, yeah, if you want to just grace? for the listeners, gotcha. uh, okay, define that. Uh, the means of grace are basically the way God communicates His saving grace in a visible, uh, tangible way. Uh, and I would, you know, those means of grace would be like uh, the word preached, um, the administration of the sacraments, and um, I mean the PCAs, and they would uh, also count uh, prayer as a means of grace. But uh, the problem with with the contemporary worship music uh, scene or uh, uh, whatever you want to call it is they have turned these uh, they have turned music they've included music in that where yeah. God God communicates His grace in that. So you're saying they they turn uh, music even with praise bands into a means of grace, and Correct. this is kind of what you said earlier how. Uh, they basically make uh, the experience of listening to music like a tangible thing mm -hmm. to them. Interesting. Yes. Well, I think it's also interesting when you think about the content of that music, because on one hand, they're treating it like a means of grace, and they're treating it like how God communicates to people. And yet at the same time, when you look at the content of those songs, uh, particularly as time goes on, it seems like the most popular worship songs become more and more devoid of actual biblical content. It seems like mm -hmm. they just become more like empty and self-focused. Like it's all about me and how I feel and how I'm going to be strong and victorious and, and great. Correct. And that's, it, you hit it right on the head, Andrew. And also I want to kind of give a little, uh, you know, you know, obviously to, to the listeners of Bobcast. I mean, I don't want to say that these, everyone that's involved in these, you know, if your church sings these songs or that, you know, you're not a Christian, that um, you don't know the Lord. That's not true. But definitely, uh, when, when it comes to the, the, the issue of the me-focused music, you know, that's what I, I call it as well, me-focused. It's what it basically is at, at its core level. It's what God does for me, what who I am in God, uh, what, uh, what can I get out of God, things like that. Um, uh, who are your who who are the giants that God slays in your life, and what are the Goliaths that God is destroying, and uh, anything is possible, and and you know if you just believe. And, and how many chains get broken? <laughs> Break every chain, bro. Oh, every chains. chain, every so chain. many chains. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, a chain left with which to pull a log. Yeah. So this uh, this puts us back into then um, another form of a question. I mean, it is so we were talking about the music side. Now, what about those doing the music, those making the music, such as uh, used to be a worship leader? Uh, is a praise team or a worship band actually necessary to worship? No, I would say no. It's not. It's not necessary. Um, what happens with uh, praise bands is that becomes the focus rather than an accompaniment, um, hmm. and that's that's where the problem is. Hence why the contemporary worship music scene, it's all about record sales. And I, for a time, I was even trying to do that, you know? Um, I know. <laughs> and if you're interested in buying the City of yeah, God. If you're interested in buying the City of God, it's on sale <laughs> for $7.99 on iTunes, you know? <laughs> no. But, uh, I think you hit on a really good point, though, because thinking back to my own experience in worship leading... I call it a pendulum swing I was on. It was constantly back and forth between like this sort of narcissism where if things were going good, I felt really good and everybody was patting me on the back and saying, good job, man. And then we're swinging the other way into despair where if things weren't going well, like if we weren't, you know, feeling the move of the spirit or whatnot, that that was on me and that was my failure. And it was really just like a draining, exhausting season of life to be in just where it felt like everything was riding on me as the worship leader yeah and and also i mean to, to even add on that andrew not not even the emotional side of it but also the presentation side of things because being a i mean I, I also once again if um if you're a worship leader and listening to this you know we don't i'm not we're not saying this to condemn you we're not uh but we're just be, we're we're Speaking about our experiences, and um, yeah. obviously that doesn't count. I mean, our experiences at the end of the day aren't going to 
not truth per se, but anyways, the the performance side of thing was also a very exhausting thing for me as well because um, maybe you relate to this, Andrew. Um, the lighting had to be perfect. Um, the chord changes had to the be at just the yeah. The sound had to be oh man, the, the sound, slides. the slides. They had to be correct. They had to. Um, the, the the lighting had to be a certain color on this song and uh and during the worship because it, it, it's so funny too because if you're on a praise team they a worship band you know there's a time of praise and there's a time of worship right mm-hmm. and then on the, the the praise side of it is just like this you know kind of celebratory songs and you know praise the lord and then when we get to the time of worship it's it's the you know, it's the how he loves song. Slow it down. Slow it down, mm. and and uh, you know, with the massive builds and and things of that nature, and that was an exhausting thing as well. But pragmatism, I would say. You hit a you hit a a point here where you were already noting a distinction that the congregation or the church there or the praise team even was making between praise itself and worship. Uh, so, I mean, what what would be, say, uh, a definition of worship, though? Uh, what is worship, for that matter? Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a that's a million dollar question right there. It's from the Greek term shabalala. Nice shabalala. <laughs> that's actually proskuneo, <laughs> proskuneo, or something like that. And I know for it, a fact you know Greek better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Andrew. That's probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Um, yeah, don't get used to it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, worship, worship is what we've been created to do. I mean, it, it, that sounds so cliche, right? Um, and we hear it all the time. We were we were created to worship, but I think uh, the best definition that I, you know. Uh, that I could think of is, you know, Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, question and answer number one. Uh, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Hmm. And the problem with with the contemporary worship scene or music or, or whatever is they they separate that. They think worship is just the music side of it. Now, they'll also – they'll – They'll admit that, yeah, worship is a lifestyle, but what I don't understand is why do they have those categories in a worship service that we're going to go into a time of worship, you know? It's kind of making a false impression that, yeah. Where, because then other elements of the service, like the ministry of the word and prayer and that sort of thing, then are, as consequence, not worship. Correct. And also even the giving of, of alms. And uh, giving a that that's an act of worship of, as well, and this is the problem I I think I find with uh, uh, worship music in in church in in that category um, of the music side of it is that it gets kind of carp uh, what do you say carp uh, uh, compartmentalized carp, yeah there you go thank you yeah see I know it I know magic yeah, see I know yeah I know Greek better than English. Yeah, that's what happened in, in a worship service. So, yes, Andrew, I, you know, th- you hit it right on the head as well. So, in this manner for worship, though, uh, if worship is what we're created to do, if, if it is the chief end of man, then it is something that is or should have been in us by nature. It is something that we are entirely designed to do mm-hmm. in, uh, in all of our capacities. That's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, from our head to our heart to our hands, mm-hmm. uh, a cerebral, intellectual uh, enjoyment passionate, uh, enamored uh, actions. Well, I was going to say, with our fallen nature, uh, there's a problem uh, in that we don't do that. So how do we know how to rightly worship now? Well, we've already hinted at this some in our past episodes when we've talked about, for instance, the census divinitatis, the sense of the divine that every one of us is created with. It's all coming together. God has made us to worship him and to know him. But do we is the question. Yeah. So we're now we're, we're talking about though in a worship um, in one manner. What we're talking about here right now is a worship of all of life. But then there seems to be, like you said, a compartmentalization uh, uh, when we're supposed to actually like do worship. And that's kind of more like the churchy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, where do the two meet? Like, I mean, how, how 
how do we know to appropriate worship to appropriately worship in church and in life and uh how do we know what's correct worship i mean at the end of the day i mean i think all of us would agree that it's the word of god that basically guides us on how we are to worship um it's the word of god alone this this is why we believe in the principle of sola scriptura we derive all our practices in the church um, based on the word of God. Now, uh, when it comes to the contemporary worship music in church, I think that's, it's derived basically as, as we talked about from the, from, uh, from the beginning, as I mentioned, the reason why we do it is because it makes me feel good. It, it draws me closer to the Lord. It, it, uh, makes me feel a certain way. Um, and you know, I, that's not why we do, we do worship in, in that sense, the, the music side of it. That's not why we sing these songs in a church. We sing the songs that we do in a church, uh, first off, if they glorify the Lord. And second of all, if they are, um, scripturally faithful to the word of God. So we've been talking a lot here about worship and particularly a lot of things that maybe are ways we shouldn't worship and things we shouldn't focus on in worship. So if we aren't going to do those things, what should we do instead? Like some, for instance, might go so far as to say we should only sing the Psalms. What do you think of that? So to answer that question, should we only sing Psalms in the church? Um, you know, my quick reaction, my quick, uh, just a, my quick response would say yes, because, um, to sing scripture is always safe, especially when it's interpreted correctly. Singing scripture is always going to be the safest route. But when it comes to hymns, I would say singing other uninspired songs, I would say yes. Reason being, I think Bovink has a, a really, really, uh, good section in his dogmatics. Fourth volume. Yeah. And, you know, he said, I think he says in, yeah, he says right here, uh, this is on page 449 of his dogmatics. And he says right here, for the, for that reason, we must definitely distinguish between the word of God and scripture, not in the sense that the word of God could be found only in scripture and was not scripture itself, but in this other sense that the word is most, in most cases does not come to us at all as scripture, that is, in the form of scripture. In fact, it comes in such a way that, having been absorbed from scripture into the consciousness of the church, it proceeds from there to the most diverse peoples in the forms of admonition and speech, nurture and education, books, magazines, tracts, and speeches, and exerts its effect. So, yeah, Bovink is basically saying here that the word of God is found we have to make a distinction between the word of God and scripture. God is always behind his word. It's always living and active. And so Bavink is saying that when man produces uninspired material or books, like he says he talks about books, tracts, uh, education, that is in agreement with what is found in scripture, that that's where the word of God is found. Um, and I think that's why singing hymns is a permissible thing be as long as they align with what scripture teaches. So how would we distinguish this from, say, like a Roman Catholic position where they would say, well, the church can decide if something is canonical or whatnot. Like, say they wanted to take a particular song, they could elevate it to the authority of scripture if they wanted. How do we avoid that kind of mistake or how do we distinguish Bob Inc.'s view from that? Yeah, I think when it comes to the to the um, uh, the Roman Catholic position, we have to distinguish between the church and the word. And in the Roman Catholic scheme, the church decides what the word says. But in the Reformed position, it's the word that creates the church. It is the spirit in the it, that creates the church. And so uh, Bob Inc. even says this. On, on the top of the, of 449, he says, uh, just as in every person from one's earliest existence, God inscribes the work of the law 
in their hearts and plants in them the seed of religion. Census divinevitatis. <laughs> yeah. That Latin term, you know. Census divinevitatis. <laughs> yeah. The sense of the divine. That dead yeah. language. So you're saying there's a... Uh, there's that Calvinistic theologies. So you're saying that even from in, the, in the first, uh, as it is, there's, there is the census divinitatis and uh, that the Lord, through general revelation, makes it so we can actually express what is okay. But on the other end... Uh, you're saying the word of God is what is ultimately guiding what we can include. Like what the content of the word is what's guiding what we can include in a song. Yes. Correct. Yeah. But the problem though, when, when you, when we bring this into contemporary worship is that they also use scripture in those songs. Like, uh, I could think of many songs, you know, the Lord is good. How many times do we see that in scripture? Many, many times. The problem, though, is the meaning behind what they mean by the Lord is good. So it's the content, ultimately. Um, Yeah, Bobbing says this right here. Yet it is always a word of God that is never just a sound, but a power. Not mere information, but an accomplishment of his will. It's, It's revelation, basically. So it's more the word of God being used the way it's intended to be used, you know. As opposed to saying like, well, the Lord is good because I have a good family and I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm rich. It's the Lord is good even if that's not so, even if I suffer, even if it's everything is going wrong. The Lord is good because that is who he is. That is what he is in his being. Correct. It presupposes us. Yes. It. The... um want to add in there uh if, if this is the case um i mean I, I'm, I'm a big advocate on singing psalms in worship uh, i'm not sure if i would necessarily say exclusive uh psalmody i would say like what our church order says in the urc in the united reformed churches the the psalms need to have the the predominant the the main principal place, place the principal place um in the worship service and so i'm going to choose if uh we have four songs i'm going to probably choose three out of four psalms um, but, uh, you know, if we include a hymn or a song, uh, you know, does this mean we're making it subjective? Like, you know, a psalm is objective as the word of God. Um, you know, are we making it subjective if it's a hymn? Well, I mean, I think if, if the, if we are utilizing what God has written on our hearts and the, the law written on our hearts, uh, the word revealed by the spirit ultimately, um, then we can use theological writings in the service of worship. Uh, and I'm not talking about just for songs, but, uh, I mean, I don't know about our Baptist or congregational brothers and sisters, but, uh, for us in the reformed, we have, uh, we have forms, uh, that we read. We have, uh, Written statements, Correct. we have creeds and confessions, and even even forms that we read out, things that pastors and elders have, you know, come together and written for the church to read and teach on before we do baptism or the Lord's Supper. Uh, we call them preparatory forms. And uh, we do those in the liturgy, not just in the sermon. So we're, we're, we're using theological forms, theological writings, uh, just like we would use a theological quote in a sermon. We utilize uh, written forms in a liturgy uh, from the capacity of the church's ordained pastors and teachers and approved of by consistories or higher assemblies. Even just beyond that, something we do particularly in the Dutch Reformed tradition, we have catechetical preaching. We mentioned this before when we talked about the church, but Caleb and I this summer have actually been preaching through the Belgic Confession, using that as our basis for what we're preaching. And some are uncomfortable with that. They say, well, why not just preach Scripture? Well, we're preaching it because it is biblical. It is a biblical system of doctrine. And so then we are presenting it as the biblical system of doctrine that it is. Yes. And this is what I th- this is what I think Bobbik is getting at um, in, his, in his dogmatics in, the, pa- in the, the passage I just read a few moments ago. That God is behind his word and God gives pastors and teachers um, to preach and to teach his word. And God uses these men 
to further define what the church should believe um, as defined in the word of God. And so that's why we are confessional. This is what, and I, that, that's why we can preach the catechism because it's a faithful system of doctrine as, as it describes the doctrines found in the scripture. So and for us, when we're saying that, okay, is, is a hymn good or bad to sing in the church? This might be decided at a synodical level. In the case of our Trinity Psalter hymnal, the URC and the OPC had a, a worship committee that, you know, put these songs together. An individual session or, um, you know, board of elders or a consistory can pick out one particular song even in our Psalter hymnals and say, we're not very comfortable with this. We're, we're not going to sing this one in our service. And so they can disapprove of a hymn. Well... What about when we get to certain churches that do, say, a congregationalist model, a non-denominational or charismatic church? Who's deciding where these songs come in, the songs that they sing? Usually it's the song leader. Mm -hmm. And even then, uh, I'll give you my how I did it. Honestly, to tell you the truth, I picked I would pick songs just based off because it was popular. It was requested by a member in the congregation or it sounded really good to me because I wanted to play the guitar parts. You know what I mean? That's basically it. And yeah, it, it has, it's not a, a, a consistory or a session determination of these things. It's, it's basically on an individual basis and those people that are put in charge of those ministries. Well, and so when you say individual basis, then uh, you were saying not even just you, but like what's popular. Correct. And so it can be a song that basically is resonating well, ultimately, with the congregation, what they think they respond really well to. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very subjective, like, I mean, basically across an entire church. How well are you connecting with that song? How does that make you feel? Correct. I know for a while back when I was leading worship, we actually had a suggestion box at our church for people to put songs in and wasn't a great thing because number one, yeah, you're, you're basing everything around people's preferences. And then also they wanted to do songs like they heard on the radio and it turns out we weren't that good and couldn't even play them. So it was just <laughs> multiple layers of frustration. Hey, Andrew, can I ask you, what were some of the songs that were requested? You know, I think I've blacked that out of my memory. <laughs> I want to point out from volume four of Reformed Dogmatics, page 443, uh, Bob Inc. begins this chapter on the Spirit's means of grace by talking a little bit about uh, mysticism. I'm going to read this quick portion here. Uh, All of salvation and blessedness comes to fallen people through God's gracious character. Objectively, that grace with all its benefits appeared in Christ, who acquired and distributes them in the way of the covenant. So the fellowship of those who have received Christ with all his benefits is called the church or the Christian community. The question we now face is whether or not in the communication of these benefits, Christ uses means. So does Christ use means to basically communicate his grace and fellowship with man? Uh, he says, all mystics are disposed to answer this question in the negative. Although in keeping with their dualistic starting point, they cannot conceive of grace as being dependent on or bound to external signs and actions. According to this view, it is God himself alone or the Christ in us, the spirit, or the inner word or inner light that works grace in humans and the word and sacrament can do no more than point to or depict that internal grace. Basically, Bobbing is pointing at uh, that one of the issues of, say, mysticism is that in order to feel a connection to God, in order for there to be a fellowship or a relationship between human and the divine, the mystics think that we must look inside ourselves for the inward light that where God has put his spirit in us. Uh, so in other words, there's no means of grace. It's, it's an immediate relationship. It's just there in you. If you just search hard enough, do you guys think that this, I mean, sounds a lot like contemporary worship? Oh yeah. Are, are, is does contemporary worship in kind of looking for uh, an inner feeling an inner experience to search yourself and feel connected through the song? Is it actually mystic? I mean, it sure sounds like it because you're basing everything not on the thing itself, not on, 
you know, power inherent in the word, but your experience of it. Correct. Correct. I would agree with that as well. And this is why you, you have that language in these, these certain circles. When I heard that song, it's like the chains fell off. Hmm. Man, the spirit was really upon you when you hit that note. Really felt the presence of the Lord there. Yeah. Yeah. You were telling me a story uh, earlier, Rudy, about uh, th- those chains falling off that you kept receiving a request to play that song because one particular congregant. Yeah. So, if a uh, true story, there was a time that there was a song that was requested that I should play, you know, number of times for a certain congregant in the church. The reason why they wanted me playing this song a lot was because whenever I played it, they said that they felt like the chains would, would come off. Whatever they're bound to or whatever was happening in their life, would it, whenever this song came on, it would liberate them or, I guess, you know, um, give them temporary relief or, or whatnot. Hmm. And, that's, the, that, and that's, that's a problem. And that's kind of a very sad thing, to be honest. It breaks my heart when, you know, because th- those stories are are real obviously i'm telling you guys this you know people are actually looking to this music as the savior and i know that sounds kind of harsh and that's probably obviously that's not necessarily the truth of it but instead of looking to christ and how christ has revealed himself in his word people are actually looking to their experiences with these songs to give them that that relief of um, being set free from sin that only christ can bring so what you're describing there, uh, you're talking about like this basically spiritual chains being broken off, uh, and you're pretty much describing uh, how how they tend to understand this worship music experience as like basically sanctification, a process of salvation. It's it's cleansing them, mm-hmm. it's purifying them. Mm-hmm. God is communicating His means of grace mm-hmm. to them through an action of music received in their hearts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you're describing a sacrament, basically. Correct. Exactly. They're turning the music into a sacrament. Yes, exactly. Yeah, people treat music like a sacrament, but it isn't. I mean, we know what we believe. We have, as Reformed people, we have teaching concerning the sacraments, like as articulated in Belgic Article 33, which says... We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness. So there is a recognition there that we need to have this grace communicated to us. But there's a certain way as we go on. Has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. And then we get to see what these are. He has added these to the word of the gospel. So it's all based on the word. It starts with the word to better represent to our external senses, both what he enables us to understand by his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts, confirming in us the salvation he imparts to us for they are visible signs and seals of something internal and is visible by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this sounds like, when you read it, the same kind of thing that people are chasing in contemporary worship. And yet, biblically, confessionally speaking, that's not where this is going as we read on. So they are not empty and hollow signs to fool and deceive us, for their truth is Jesus Christ, without whom they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments that Christ our Master has ordained for us. There are only two. Music and tongue speaking. No, I'm kidding. It's not those. (laughs) The sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. So these are the means of grace. You know, in addition to the Word, which is a means of grace, we have these two visible sensory means of grace, the sacraments. They are the Word, the Gospel, communicated to our senses, not... The good feeling, the liver quiver brought by certain songs and certain <laughs> expressions of music. Liver quiver. Liver quiver. That is going to be a t-shirt. <laughs> liver quiver. And, I mean, to, to touch, to uh, kind of piggyback on that, Andrew, especially with what we see on social media, I mean, how many posts do we see on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Night of Worship? How many times have you logged on to those same social media platforms and said and saw night of preaching? It's non-existent. 
Yeah, or, you know, log on social media and making a big deal of baptism and the yeah. supper. <laughs> yeah. Maybe occasionally, but pretty rare. Well, instead, what do we see? Worship on the beach. Night of worship. Come join so-and-so contemporary band for a night of worship. You know? Yeah. It's always that. It's It's the experience. And I think this is because... American Christianity comes out of those movements, you know, like revivalism, pietism, subjectivism, rather than as we just read from Article 33 of the Belgic, it's the sacraments, the word preached and the visible signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's what confirms our faith. With contemporary worship music, it's the feelings that are confirming our faith. Well, that and... Uh from page 445 on uh, Volume 4 of Reform Dogmatics, just about a page and a half after I was quoting a moment ago, Bobbing points out how uh, the mysticism will tend to uh, reject the means of grace uh, in the proclamation of the word and the administration of the sacraments, exercising or discipline, as ways in which God actually communicates and sanctifies, uh, really. Because the means of grace to them are basically a list of external things that bind God. God does, shouldn't need external things to work his power in us uh you know he should be able to just put it directly in us and from there just work it out uh, and and we just have to look at it we just have to find it uh so he he goes on and talking about how uh the issue with anabaptists is that neither was that grace the means of grace something material or substantial for them a physical force a super added gift no it's an elevation of human nature Okay, they're basically, uh, they don't look to the administration of the sacraments added to the word. They're looking at an elevation of a human, uh, experience and what's going to really tap them in into uh, a divine experience, basically. Well, and this creates a particular problem when we look at our present situation with this pandemic because uh, a lot of us have been in a situation where the only worship of any kind has been like worship by live stream and this whole individualistic subjective experience brought on by music or whatever i mean that's portable you can load those songs on your ipod and uh you know start dancing around your living room and have that experience is that what you do is that what you do andrew i don't do it but i mean people can and people do but the issue with that is this puts us in a crisis in a situation where people can be away from receiving the means of grace and probably not feel like they're missing out on all that much because they've been programmed to think that they receive grace that they commune with the spirit by these other ways correct well it kind of also downplays the the roles of say um church officers too right Sure, because one of the main functions of church officers, you know, at least in our Reformed view, is, you know, you have the elders that oversee the administration of the sacraments, recipients of baptism, as well as fencing the table and the practice of discipline, determining who is and is not allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper. And that's important, and you can't have that if everybody's having church in their PJs in the living room. Or creating, well, in the same way outside of COVID, basically creating new ways of to worship um, the ways that they want, right? They're uh, basically approving anything for worship. Well, and continuing on in our discussion of the Belgic Confession, you go back into Article 32 uh, with order and discipline. That's another essential element of the church that hits on this, um, not only on the issue of church officers and discipline and excommunication, but also how we worship. And this is where we get into our reformed concept of the regulative principle of worship. Just an excerpt there of Article 32. Therefore, we reject all human innovations and all laws imposed on us in our worship of God, which bind and force our consciences in any way. Now, this is huge because what we're saying here is that we're saying not only is our content of worship scripture, but the rule of our worship is scripture and if scripture doesn't say do this we're not going to do it because the little secret about this thing about this whole like contemporary worship music is that you know you hear all this talk of things about chains being broken off and this is where i feel free and this is where i feel the spirit is when i'm in this worship but contrast that with what i was talking about earlier about that pendulum swing and where everything is on you the person trying to create this experience it's not really freedom it's bondage 
It's a form of bondage because rather than worship God the way he has said that he ought to be worshipped, you're striving and trying to create this experience that shouldn't even be what we're chasing after to begin with. There's a good point that Bobbing expands on in that in uh, page 456 there of Reform Dogmatics 4. This is on, say, the subject of downplaying the word of God from what the word of God says. I, I think he's pointing out what's going on here. He points to antinomianism, uh, those who are basically against the law of God. Antinomianism initially opposes only the law in the Old Testament, but soon moves on to dissent from every external word, so any word outside themselves, and the entire objective historical mediation of salvation, and expects everything from the operation of the Holy Spirit, from the Christ in us from the internal word and inner light. So basically, when they start moving away from the law of God, even in the Old Testament, and looking to just the Holy Spirit, they actually start to tend to lose a bit of a creator-creature distinction here. Uh, he goes on, Knowledge of the word as such accordingly affords us nothing and leaves us cold and dead. So it turns into a spirit versus the letter issue. Even to understand it, one needs the inner light as a condition. Just as words can teach us something only when we know the things to which they refer, Scripture teaches us something only when Christ already dwells in our hearts. The word is no more than a sign, a shadow, an image, and a symbol. It expresses, points out, and reminds us only of what is already internally written on our hearts. Now, going down towards the very end of that page... Onto the next page, even. This is Anabaptism, is what he calls it. And Anabaptism was basically a revival of the pantheistic mysticism that regards the finite as an eternally changing manifestation of the infinite, and hence seeks communion with God in the intimate depths of feeling, where God and humans are one. Like a sloppy wet kiss. Well, yes, like a sloppy because you're looking for a connection with God. But when you remove, say, a regulative principle, uh, if you remove the word as setting the pattern for what should be permitted, in other words, if you remove the word and its law, the, the ways of God, for what he accepts as worship, you take the word out of the equation and you start to look inside yourself. Basically, you start trying to find how are you connecting to God, how are you withdrawing from the world? How do you, how are you killing the intellect? Getting all this, you know, stuff that gets in the way in the way of you and God, and and really connecting and experiencing Him. As Bobbing says, you passively await an internal and immediate revelation. We find God and live in communion with Him. We live in communion with Him in this pantheistic way. Well, and the problem too is that when we leave behind the law of God in our worship. God doesn't find that pleasing. God doesn't give approval to that. You can see in the Old Testament, for instance, when a couple of Aaron's sons bring strange incense to the altar. Now, that seems like a relatively minor infraction, but for that, they die. Or you look at, for instance, Paul's letters, like especially 1 Corinthians and all the abuses and problems and difficulties of worship and the harshness with which they are condemned for it like this isn't just oh this is a good idea like no this is the word of god this is what god has commanded and if you're not doing it you're wrong you're in sin you're violating what he has required so it's looking to creation and creature for the answers and not creator in the way that he's designed us and commanded us to worship absolutely so then that's where we go from objective in God to the subjective. The thing is, though, people are placing, like, you know, place such a high premium on worship. You were saying even to the uh, a worship experience, you know, even to the point where they will set apart uh, or pay money for a night of worship mm -hmm. with, you know... Uh, so, it, so it, artists, yeah. yeah, it's more than just a concert. It's, it's a night of worship with mm -hmm. uh, Chris Tomlin or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're looking for the, for love in all the wrong places, basically. <laughs> looking uh, for love in all the wrong. You know, uh, <laughs> you want to expand like a little bit on that as well? I mean, um, is it really so bad to listen to like praise in worship music? That's the million dollar question, right? Because are we given permission, uh, are we permitted to, to listen to this music as Christians? And obviously, I would, I mean, the best route that we can take on this, that we could take, is leave it up to the conscience of the individual. 
some consciences are weaker and some are stronger. Some would say, absolutely not. How dare us listen to certain music from so-and-so church? We know that they're blatantly teaching heresy and they're not repenting of it whatsoever. So why would we even bother wanting to listen to their music at all? Well, on the other side, it's, well, you know, we can listen to it because we know, while we know what they're, what they mean in their songs, we know the, the concepts that they're singing about based on how they're, they're being described in the word of God. Right. So we can discern so, yeah, we can in discern. wisdom for Correct. ourselves. Correct. So we can distinguish between lyrics and in, in some manners, leave it to the stronger or weaker brother in, in making this an issue of a stumbling block, mm-hmm. all the while looking to uh, purify and move towards biblical patterns of worship. Mm-hmm. That can be a process and that could be something that takes a long time. Like if you're listening to this today and this idea of like biblical regulated worship hits you for the first time if you go in guns blazing into your church and say yeah we're gonna do this it's not gonna go very well oftentimes it's a process it's baby steps on baby steps if the church will even go that way maybe they won't and then maybe different decisions have to be made yeah i think we need to uh yeah very much consider yeah, the, the great benefit of music in uh for the church you know god has not only created the mind you know he has created the heart god has created uh passion and enjoyment uh, and he's also given us the ability to uh, as humans uh, in his image create in the sense of uh say making paintings um playing music building things constructing things uh we we do build we do make and art is a way in which uh we do get to explore uh beauty in this world particularly uh you know the lord has created this world and things in it to reflect his glory and in a manner we can go and take things like music in or uh, and go and contemplate the majesty of the lord music can help us in this manner just as literature and fine arts but we want to seek to not separate our notions of beauty and the glory of god from his holiness so what he says is right and also from his truth what he says is right in his word we don't want to separate the true, the good, and the beautiful. So, Rudy, if you want to write your song about your amillennial theology, and if we want to use it as the theme song for our show, we're okay to do that. Correct. Because it was written by me. <laughs> it is beautiful. Because it is beautiful. It is good because it is good, true, and beautiful. And the price was right. And the price was right. I charged you guys nothing. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yes. Uh you know, and, and on that way, uh, in that we, we, we spoke about this at the very beginning of this recording as well, you know, there really aren't a lot of Reformed artists, if you will. Uh, one thing that the Reformed are pretty bad at is going in expressing the beauty that God has shown in creation for his glory. We're, we're pretty bad at paintings. There's like virtually no reformed writers we might start to be getting some reformed uh, musicians uh, such as rudy here uh, and even some others but you know we really should be promoting the use of the arts you know just because we say that yeah we need to have regulated music in the church appropriate music and biblical music at the same time art is indispensable to us as creatures of the living god and it's a way that we testify of god to the world around us Correct. Well, Rudy, it's been good to have you on and talk about worship through your eyes and our eyes and through the eyes of Bob Inc. I guess, uh, do you have any parting thoughts, any takeaways you'd like our listeners to take home from this? Yeah. Um, so, well, first off, I want to say just uh, thank you so much for having me on the uh, the podcast. You know, I've, since the beginning, I've been a, a big fan and, uh, you know, wholeheartedly believe in what you guys are doing, not only because... Uh, you guys are my friends and we're in the trenches together when it comes to pastoral stuff, but also, um, uh, to promote Bob, Bob Inc. I mean, that's, you know, being able to push Bob Inc. forward to the limelight. I, I guess that the, the takeaways that I would want to leave, um, the listeners with is if, like, as Andrew was saying prior, if this is your first time kind of hearing about the regulative principle of worship and you're like, what the heck? This is you know, wow, I mean, I can't believe I've been doing this my whole life, you know, when you singing these songs, and I got to change immediately. You know, the, the best advice I could leave you with is be patient. Be very patient. It took it, it, 
even with myself to arrive at this position, and I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still learning as I go, but it took a number of years to even get to this position. And a lot of wrestling with scripture, a, a lot of battling against what my own feelings and my own wants. But it's so freeing uh, to you. I mean, so uh, you want to talk about chains being broken. To worship God as he has prescribed in his word is so liberating. Mm. And not only because you're singing the word of God, you're also, uh, by singing these songs, you're also internalizing the word of God within you. Um, by singing psalms and uh, songs that agree with with scripture you are internalizing the word within you and it is such a i mean we're commanded to do that psalm one blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the lord day and night you know and uh that's one takeaway the other takeaway is also be patient with those who may have a different uh, viewpoint than how we we've just described when it comes to worship music uh, be patient with those people. Don't write them off as heretics right away. Right away. Um, <laughs> right away. Um, wait at least a day or two. Yeah, wait at least. Yeah, wait, wait at least a, cu- a couple seconds before you do that. <laughs> be patient with them as well. And yeah, I mean, and then on the flip side, if you're if if you are going to go the route of the contemporary worship music. Explain to your congregants why you're doing it. A lot of the practices in the church, the reason why we do them is just because it's in, it's in, it's been inherited. We just assume this is the way it's always been. It'd be wise to understand why we do the things we do, but also to explain to our fellow friends in the church why we do the things we do. Mm. And if that's the conviction where you settle on, then hey, go for it but really really understand why you do it those are the things that i would i would uh leave leave the li- our listeners with thank you for listening to this episode for the latest news and updates visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com where you can also support our work with a paid subscription you can also follow us on social media at ofad podcast if you like what you have heard Leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once for All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.